Well, if you have your Bible, then I would invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, I will begin by reading from verse 42. So, brothers and sisters, this is God, God's holy and inerrant word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Thus far, the reading of God's word. I know it is not Christmas yet, but one of my favorite childhood movies and one of my favorite Christmas movies is Home Alone. You may know the movie. Uh, you have the main character, Kevin, Kevin McAllister, an eight-year-old kid who was left the home by accident by his family as they were going on a vacation. And those of us who are familiar with the movie would know that he had to defend his home from two burglars by setting up traps in the house which is really my favorite scene in the whole movie. But before Kevin was left at home by accident, he got into some trouble at the dinner table. And afterwards, he was sent off to sleep in the attic. Uh, while in the attic, Kevin and his mom had some interesting dialogue. Uh, he thinks, Kevin thinks, that his family hates him. He doesn't think he wants another family or any family. Because, according to him, family sucks. And afterwards, he wishes that he wouldn't see his mom and his family for the rest of his whole life. His mom then responded, I hope you don't mean that. You, f you feel pretty sad if you woke up tomorrow morning and you didn't have a family. To which Kevin responds, No, I wouldn't. Church, is a family of God. Uh, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. However, church is not always perfect. We are sinners who have often sinned against one another. Uh, we have failed one another. We have hurt one another at times. And sometimes because of this, some have no desire to be in fellowship or even to be part of the family of God. But despite Despite the church's imperfection, she is redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I hope that no Christians would say that they don't want or need the family of God. Believers, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should have the desire and devotion to fellowship and to be together with other brothers and sisters. We are a family as we just sung. 
last Sunday, I began a topical series called A Devoted Church. And for those of you who are new to this church, we're, we're actually going through the whole book of Acts. And, but we want to spend some time looking at the characteristics of a devoted church as, as written by Luke in, Luke in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And as you read this passage, as you read this verse, we see that the new believers devoted themselves to these four activities, to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And so today, we will look at the second characteristic of what a devoted church should look like. The Christians devoted themselves to the fellowship. So my goal for this morning is to explain to you the meaning of the word fellowship and how these believers displayed this Christian fellowship in this passage and explore the importance of fellowship as taught in the rest of the book of Acts and even in the New Testament. So let's do a word study. Let's do a word study on fellowship. This is probably an important place to begin if we are to understand what fellowship means. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, koinonia, a word that perhaps you're familiar with. Interestingly enough, Luke only uses this particular word only once in the book of Acts. John Stott says that the word fellowship was born on the day of Pentecost. Koinonia is used 18 other times in the letter of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul especially likes this word because he uses it 14 times in the writing of his letters to various churches. Koinonia is not always translated as fellowship. It can also be translated as participation, sharing, contribution, and partnership. For instance, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul talks about the Philippians' uh, partnership or their, their fellowship in the gospel with Paul's ministry, where they contributed financially to his ministry and showed Paul concern for his personal well-being while he was still in prison. The Philippians were then participating in advancing the gospel by establishing a fellowship or a partnership, a koinonia, with Paul. So by definition, koinonia is a close association involving mutual interest, shared conviction, and solidarity. The root word for koinonia is koinos, which is translated as common, and it carries a sense of having commonality. See, this word koinonia, this word fellowship, means more than just hanging out with people. You can hang out with people in a social setting and, having, and have social interaction, but that's not necessarily the nature of Christian fellowship per se. Christian fellowship was a common fellowship because believers share in the common and great spiritual realities that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. One commentator said this, and I quote, the, eight, the 19 t- occurrences of koinonia in the New Testament suggest that the church used this word for the unique sharing that, that Christians have with God and with other Christians, end quote. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, 
that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Christian fellowship with brothers and sisters isn't possible apart from our unique fellowship, apart from our unique relationship, a personal relationship with God through the mediatorial work of Jesus. James Montgomery Boyce explains that Christian fellowship is about having a common participation in God. That is, this is what drew these new believers, as we see in the book of Acts, this is what drew these new believers together. So generally, believers share in the common union with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. They express their faith and their fellowship in living life together. When you think about these early believers, there is a real connection for each other, with each other, and to each other. And so, our focus this morning for this passage is found in verses 44 to 47. So let us read this passage again. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So in this passage, I see five things that these Christians did for fellowship. One is that there was that that togetherness. They were together. Second, there was sharing. Third, there was worship. Fourth, there was joy. Fifth, there was hospitality. So let's deal with the first one, togetherness. All who believe were together and had all things in common. All these believers, the apostles, the 120 early followers of Jesus, and now around 3,000 new believers, they were together. They were a family because they are God's children. Luke also tells us that they had all things in common. These Christians demonstrated their togetherness, their commonality in their giving, in their devotion to the temple gathering, and in their breaking of bread in their homes. To be together means to be in unity. When you look at later on verse 46, Luke tells us that day by day they were attending attending the temple together. Uh, In the New American Standard Bible, it would translate this verse as like this. Day by day, continuing with one mind, one mind in the temple. So the portrait of the church that Luke is painting here in this passage is very ideal. We sometimes use this phrase, the honeymoon phrase, the honeymoon phase, to describe an early part of a couple's relationship where everything seems very carefree and very happy. That is in some sense describing these new believers they were getting along. They were, there was a real sense of unity in the spirit, one-mindedness and togetherness. Of course, when you look at these believers, there doesn't seem to be strife and quarreling. But of course, later on in the book of Acts, and as you read throughout the rest of the epistles, the New Testament epistles, we will discover that the church will face problems and 
issues and even disagreements. But nonetheless, Luke here is painting a, an ideal church. But we must remember that although Luke wrote Acts to describe to us what happened in the early church, you know, they were together right after Pentecost, but, the, but right after, later on, Acts chapter 8, they were scattered. So they weren't always together. It doesn't mean that Christians must always be together every day, 24-7. However, as believers, there should be a desire. There should be a desire and there should be a longing to be together with other believers in the Lord as much as we can. William McDonald, he once said this, and I quote, Another evidence of new life was the, was the desire of the new believers to be with the people of God and share things in common with them. There was a sense of being separated to God from the world and a community of interest with other Christians, end quote. And so what we see here is there was that togetherness in the believers. The second thing that these Christians did for fellowship was sharing. They were sharing. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Not only were the early Christians spiritually one in the Lord, they, almost, they also demonstrated their practical oneness. It seems that these early Christians felt a sense of responsibility toward one another. But there may be a reason why they were sharing here. If you recall the context of Pentecost in this passage, many of these new Christians were, new, uh, were pilgrims who came from various places for their, for their pilgrimage festival. John MacArthur, he offers a very insightful comment on this activity, and I quote, The inns could not accommodate the vast influx of people to Jerusalem during those feast times. As a result, the common people opened their homes and shared their resources with the visitors. Many members of the early church were such pilgrims, saved while visiting Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. They now stayed to be part of the new work of God. It was only basic Christian love for those who live in the city to share with them. Additionally, some in the fellowship had no doubt lost their livelihoods due to their profession of faith in Christ. The rest of the fellowship met their needs, and others were just the poor believers who always needed help, end quote. And so when you read verse 45, it addresses the physical needs of the church and even in society as well and that the believers were available to address those needs by sharing their materialistic possessions. We must note, however, that this verse does not support the idea of socialism or a primitive form of communism. Rather, what you see here is that the Christians chose to sell their possessions and to give to others. Their actions should be viewed as voluntary, and giving according to their own means. We are never told in the epistles that Christians are commanded to sell their homes and their possessions, but what we do see is that Christians are to give cheerfully and learn to cultivate a heart of generosity in meeting the needs of others. For instance, 
in 2 Corinthians 8-9, Paul talks about the generosity of the churches of Macedonia who gave cheerfully to meet the needs of the churches of Jerusalem, even though the Macedonians were in extreme poverty. Various places in the scripture speak about the idea of giving and share in helping to meet the needs of believers. Romans chapter 15, verse 26 says, For Macedonian and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. James chapter 1, verse 27, Religion that is poor and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James chapter 2, verses 15 to, 20, 15 to 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, uh, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 1 Timothy chapter 6 Verses 17 to 18. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. See, what we see in these Christians is best summarized by Paul's statement in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, Christian fellowship is not selfish. It's not about being selfish. It's not about taking it in. But it's all about being selfless. It is about giving. It is about sharing. As people, have, people say, sharing is caring. So that's what we learn here about Christian fellowship. They were sharing. The third thing that these Christians did for fellowship was worship. There was worship involved. Luke says, And day by day, attending, attend, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Worship means praising and adoring and revering God because he is worthy of all praise and glory. These early believers were worshiping God in a variety of ways in this passage. You know, they, they were breaking bread, which I think was a celebration of the Lord's Supper. They were praying to God, most likely referring to corporate prayer. But we can certainly pray individually at home at different times. Not only are the physical needs of the believers being met, but Christian fellowship is also includes meeting people's spiritual needs, that is, encountering the living God in worship. Luke tells us that they were doing this day by day, and it is possible that it means that they were going to the temple together every day. How was that even possible since there, it was such a large gathering, at least 3,000 people? Well, the temple that they gathered was possibly the temple courtyard of the Gentiles, which was considered a very large location. James Boyce said that it may, this may have been the same location where Peter preached his sermon at Pentecost. And, so, and also here, 
when they were worshiping, they could have also sung the Psalms. They were singing the Psalms, which was their hymn book, if you will. The book of Psalms was not only meant to be read, but also to be sung by the Jewish people. And in fact, you can't go wrong with singing the Psalms because they are the inspired and inerrant word of God. But of course, it doesn't mean we can't sing other songs that are also God-honoring. They could also be at the temple praying to God. Later, we see later on in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, that Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. So when Jesus, and Jesus, when Jesus was cleansing the temple, because it became a house of trade, he did say that the temple is God's house, and it is to be called a house of prayer. So that's what believers should be doing as we gather, either formally on a Sunday morning like this one, or informally at someone's home or at someone's place. There should be a worship involved. So that's what we see here. The fourth thing that these Christians did to display fellowship was hospitality. Hospitality. We see here that they were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Hospitality, from our perspective, is often viewed or pictured as throwing a potluck party at someone's home or even hosting a gathering and feeding friends and family members. However, in the ancient world, their concept of hospitality was very different and even more radical than ours. According to one scholar, he explains, and I quote, the ancient custom of hospitality revolved around the practice of, practice of welcoming strangers or travelers into one's home while promising to provide them with provisions and protection, end quote. Notice that the Christians here met in each other's homes, and they were each other, enjoying each other's company through meals, through regular meals or fellowship meals. And since they're new believers, they're, they most likely have just met one another here. They're, they were new believers who have just met one another. These new believers were pilgrims, and, and they were travelers as well. So in some sense, they were strangers to each other, while at the same time, they were a family because they are in Christ. The Christians living in Jerusalem at this time were even willing to welcome these Christians, these new believers, into their own households. The New Testament also instructs believers to welcome Christians, especially if they are maybe genuinely in need, and even where to welcome itinerant preachers into their homes. Hospitality is one of the ways to demonstrate love for your neighbors in a practical way. Rosaria, Butter, Rosaria Butterfield wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Postmodern World. And there's a remark that she said in the book that really stood out to me. She said this, and I quote, Radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in the daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors, family of God, end quote. 
So what she is saying is that hospitality can be a bridge to develop meaningful relationships and friendships with strangers. And if they are non-believers, hospitality can be a method to make disciples and evangelizing the lost. Hospitality is a duty of God's people because it is commanded by God. Here are just some key verses given to us in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And hopefully by the grace of God, we can then invite each other and visit each other's homes for a time of fellowship after COVID. We all look forward to seeing each other again and also going to each other's house. But in the meantime, let's keep that in mind that what these Christians did is that they were practicing hospitality. The last thing that these Christians did to display fellowship was, was that well, there was joy in this fellowship. There was joy. You see, having 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 practiced hospitality, having received their food, they did so with glad and generous hearts, and they were praising God for that. See, the, this word glad in the, in the Greek is a very strong word, which means being in a state of intensive joy or intensive gladness. It could have been translated as to be extremely glad, or they received their food with extreme gladness with joy now why would this church be in extreme gladness well i think one of the reasons was because they manifested generous hearts you see the word for generous is only used once in the new testament here it can also be translated as simplicity or sincerity according to a.t robertson the root the root of this word in the greek gives us a picture of being free from free from rocks or being smooth. So in other words, these Christians' hearts, they were not hardened by selfishness. They were giving. They were so generous to these believers. They were selfless. They were almost always together. They were in the temple worshiping God. They gave their time and their energy to each other and meeting each other's needs and spending it in, at each other's household, each of these believers were, was receiving their fellowship meals. And it seems they really, really liked each other, if you know what I mean. They just can't get enough of being with each other. It's as if they were really happy, very joyful. Perhaps joy may be an overlooked idea in the life of the church, See, a devoted church should be a, should be a joyful church because of our relationship with God who redeemed us from our sins and knitted us and binded us together as one family, as God's family. A church that practices the idea of togetherness, unity of mind, and like-mindedness should lead a, lead a church, lead to a church that rejoices to be a joyful church. There is that sweet and amazing fellowship 
with other believers in the Lord. Wouldn't that be better special? I personally miss this sweet fellowship during this past year. Um, and I hope that we can rekindle that, reignite that uh, later on in the upcoming year. You see, when true Christian fellowship is lived out, I think joy can be produced from our heart towards God in praising God for what he has done for us as a church. Later on in the movie, as I mentioned in the movie Home Alone, Kevin discovers that his home was going to be robbed. It was planned to be robbed by the burglars. He was facing some trials, very, some difficulties. It's only when, during this time, it's only when he, was, he has to face an ordeal does he realize that he wants his family back. He yearns for his family to return home so he can be with them. I hope that is the case for us. We faced a lot of trouble this past year. And I hope that, that, that there's that sense of longing for you to, be, to coming back in the future, to fellowship with other believers in the Lord. And I hope, even as we have just learned from this passage, I hope we have just discovered and observed from this text five things that Christians did for, for fellowship. Uh, there is that togetherness, being together. There was sharing. There was worship, joy, and hospitality. And the main home that I really want to drive home is very simple for us. is that the Christians are to devote themselves to the fellowship. We're to be together. We are to share, we have, we're to have mutual sharings and mutual interests and commonality because we are one in the body of Christ. We share in the sp- same spiritual reality because we are in Christ. Throughout the rest of the New Testament, God has so much more to teach us about Christian fellowship than just what is being taught here in this passage. For instance, I don't have all the time this morning to talk about all the one another verses in the New Testament, such as love one another, bear one another's burden, serving one another, greet one another, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, exhort one another, and encourage one another. I think all these one another verses would give us a bit of a holistic view of Christian fellowship. Understandably, given our circumstance, some of you may, may not be comfortable, may not be ready to apply some of the things or principles that Christians have done in the early church. I get it. I get it. COVID is still around. You still don't feel comfortable. You still don't feel safe and ready to come back to the physical gathering of the church. And if that is you this morning, then know that you are loved. You are loved. You have value. And that we hope that you will come and join us for fellowship, for Christian fellowship. And we do hope to see you soon. However, as restrictions are slowly being lifted by our government, Lord willing, I do exhort you, do encourage you to consider how you can still obey God in applying the principles of Christian fellowship 
You see, lack of fellowship and being away from other Christians will hinder your spiritual growth in Christ. It is not spiritually healthy to be away from believers. See, MacArthur, he said this, that the Bible does not envision the Christian life as one lived apart from other believers. All members of the universal church, the body of Christ, are to be actively and intimately involved in the local assemblies. And so it is inexcusable for a Christian to fail to participate in the life of the local church. Hebrews chapter 10 does say this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of my pastoral concerns, if I can be honest with you, is that maybe a year later, when things are even better, we still have live streaming, I really hope that even a year later, that you will not make excuses of not coming to Christian fellowship just because you can stay at home, the comfort of your own home, and just watch church, be at church through live streaming. Of course, we, we're so blessed by the technology. We're, we can praise God for that. Uh, but if you are able, if you can come, if you are able body, you should be coming and not use the live streaming as an excuse not to participate in Christian fellowship. That's just my heart to you, my pastoral concern. But if you genuinely at this moment, in your own conscience, don't feel comfortable, we understand. We love you. But please, don't purposefully make it a habit to forsake the importance of assembling with your brothers and sisters in Christ because Christ is coming back, as this verse tells us. The day is drawing near. And because Christ is coming back, we are exhorted to devote, to devote ourselves to the fellowship. We are to increase and cultivate the habit and the discipline of Christian fellowship. May God help us, and may God sanctify us as we all come to him now in prayer. So let's bow with me. Please bow with me in prayer. Father God, I pray that you will challenge us this morning. We are all in different places right now in our lives where we, we face struggles. We have challenges in our life. And understandably, there are some who need love. There are some who don't feel comfortable, and we, Lord, I pray that you would comfort them, grant them peace during this time. Maybe there is that struggle, maybe there is that guilt in their hearts, but please help them during this time. I pray that your Holy Spirit, will use, you will use your word to speak to your people in your own ways. And for those of us, and for those of us who are here, may you continue to help us to grow in fellowship and even teach and help others and encourage one another not to give up and forsake the, the assembling of others, whatever that may, be, may look like.
So Lord, please help us. Please. May, you, may, you, may your people experience your love this morning and even your encouragement and your exhortation of, of seriously considering to devote themselves to the discipline of fellowship. This I pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.